Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. This is Lisa with Charismatic Women. We are in the final week of intuition training, and we've got a short group on or a small group on the call today. I know that there are a bunch of you who are listening and recording, so I want to say straight away that if you have questions now about any of the material in its totality, um, feel free to email me because I'm probably going to leave on what kind of seems like an unfinished spot. But I'm going to explain this a little bit as we go along in terms of sort of being in that unfinished place with this. Um, today's material is all about um, what I call the color coding system. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a color coding system, but there's a reason that I do that. Did you guys, and Laura, I'm just going to let you answer questions if you want to. I'll pause every once in a while. But Melanie, did I'm you get a chance you. to look at, there you go. Did, did you all get a chance to read the materials for the class today? I did not. Okay, so I will, in that case, open my document to make sure I'm actually following along with myself. Um, I tend to believe, and I mean, there's so much science that basically supports this, that we are all incredibly intuitive. That I mean, we're, we've discussed this before, that our brains are really, 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 really wired for... Um, to, to be intuitive with the, the mirroring neurons in our brains are very, very high functioning. And almost all living creatures are. Like I said in the material, now there's science that's actually showing pretty concretely that even plants have an, intu an intuitive but a predictive precognitive sort of ability. And so when you look at that, I mean, it makes perfect sense to just sort of accept as a fact that humans have this going for them too. And so I tend to think that when we're talking about developing intuition, we're not necessarily talking about developing intuition as in building a muscle. I mean, some of this is, is practice-based and muscle-building kind of activities. But more than that, it's about cutting down the other noise that's blocking your intuition out. Like if you were in a psychically noise-free environment, you would probably be incredibly intuitive and you would know that. But there's so much energetic noise that we're exposed to in every moment of every day that are what we're picking up in that energetic environment tends to either get drowned out or misinterpreted, which is why we started out the program talking about energetic hygiene, but how important the daily practices of energetic hygiene are because it keeps sort of that energetic slate at least cleaner than it would be otherwise. It keeps it from sort of building up in a cumulative way. And it gives us a greater shot of accessing our intuition without that noise. And today we're going to talk about the interpretation aspect. So um, you didn't. You're going to be the guinea pig, Melanie. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, so I'm going to read you the story from the material. 
because um, I gave an example about this. Basically, what we're, and I'm not even going to tell you what we're talking about. I'm just going to read you the story. So April has been working in the same place for five years, and she makes really, really, really good money. And imagine that she's kind of telling you this story. Like, I want, to, I want you to sort of soak up the feeling sense of this. Okay. She's a project coordinator for a tech company. She got the job straight out of college and was hired above her experience level. People always told her she was lucky to get a job like that straight out of school. She likes the work, but she hates her boss. He's a jerk to everyone. However, he really seems to have something for April, and it's a little hard to tell what that something is. Calvin has asked April out more times than she can count. Every time she says no, he treats her worse. It has escalated to the point where he frequently humiliates her in front of her coworkers and the people on her team. He even went after her in a client meeting where she referred, where he referred to her as high-paid window dressing in front of the client. April feels totally and completely stuck. The security of this job is a really big deal. She recently bought a house, and that made her feel even more tied to the house, the job, or the house, or to the job in the area. She's terrified of looking for another job because she really believes she was lucky to land the one she got. April is starting to feel very anxious at work. She thinks other people are talking about her behind her back. She's also started to have nightmares about being unemployed and looking for another job. She's afraid she would fall apart in a job search. April has burned all of her sick leave days, avoiding going to work, and has started to take days off without pay. And she's been written up for that. So you got a picture of that whole scenario, Melanie? Yeah, I think so. What do you think is going on with her in terms of why she's not leaving that job? Fear. Do you have any idea, like, would you give would you a guess on what? Like, like what she's fearful of? Yeah. Lack. If there's nothing mm-hmm. else out there that... She has no other options, even though she does. So that's, see, that's the beginning pig. But that's exactly what most people think when they hear that story. Or some version of that. Here's the truth about April. April's a trust fund baby. She got her entire trust the day she graduated from college. She doesn't have to work for anyone ever. As a child, her family moved around a lot. She was more or less raised by rotations of nannies. She never had any security or certainty. She always, she never knew where she was going to go to school, let alone where she was going to live. April's job in the new house represented security and stability to her. She craved that. Additionally, April's father was very controlling and emotionally abusive, so she's got some programming in place from childhood when it mm. comes to, like, actual men. So most people hear that story and they feel the energy of it. Like, you can, if you can imagine talking to her, you would feel it. Your intuitive sense would pick it up. And then they, you filter that story through some version of your own lens. And nine out of ten people probably think it has something to do with lack of money. I mean, in her case, she's got all the money in the world, but we all have a lens. And the minute you're... You, you feel something, and it starts to filter through that lens. You've lost, you've lost the nuance of your intuition. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, a lot. Wow. And is my phone 
That's probably an age that says it's cutting out. That better, Jeanette? I've been that's in with headsets today. So the problem is, I mean, that lens is really super firmly in place. And unless we're aware of it, we don't even know we're doing it. And I mean, this could be a conversation on coaching also, but it really is a conversation on intuition. Because the feeling sense we get is almost always 100% accurate. That's the activity of the mirroring neurons, and that is accurate. But the second we filter it, our our intuition is was was shot. I mean, you you oh, yeah. really 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 lost it. So, could you hear me when I was talking, or was I cutting out all the way through you for you too, Melanie? No, I could hear you. Okay. And I think that happens all. I mean, and we know it happens all the time because you can't help but have a filter. So everything you've ever experienced. Everything, every experience that you've ever heard somebody else relate to you that becomes a part of your experience, your brain catalogs that information and does a very effective job of it so that it can make sense of things when it's processing stuff in the real world. But the reality is that all of that stuff becomes a major roadblock to your intuition. Your intuition's always functioning 100% all the time, but the filter creates a distorted view of what it is that we're perceiving. And so one of two things happens at that point. Thing number one is we get it wrong altogether. Like our intuition just doesn't work because we filtered it through our experience and then it, you know, we're not hitting the mark at all. We're not sensing the energy around us accurately or we filter it through our lens and we quit recognizing it as it, it just, we own it like then it becomes ours. We quit sort of sensing that we had picked up something in our environment and we just internalize it all together. So, Laura, do you have any thoughts or questions on this? And then I'll ask Melanie before we move on. Now you're muted. Sorry, I'm unmuted now. Um, I was muted the whole time. I mean, unmuted. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't have any questions about it um no uh-uh. I, I feel like not overwhelmed and I, I like how you describe to practice it but it makes me question even in my coaching when I've had a hunch and stuff like that you know or, or you know like you know feel like I'm on to something I you know make me question who was I on to me or her, him or her well so I could, I mean, I would say it doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, particularly in coaching sessions, I think law of attraction brings people right where they need to be. You're attracted to people who, I mean, I, I don't know that it necessarily matters it, where the hunch came from. And I think this gets really tricky. Like, following your hunch is one thing, but putting putting your stuff on other people, which I, I see coaches do that all the time, I'm sure I've done it too, is a whole other thing. And I mean, I think that oftentimes we can tell the difference. I mean, that intuitive hunch, sometimes you know it's just not coming from you. You know for sure it's coming from someplace else, someplace outside you. You can feel that distinction. But the awareness of the lens, I think just the awareness is sometimes enough to kind of stay, stay clear of that. Yeah. Melanie, any questions? 
No, I don't. I don't think so. I. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about it as I coach, and when I have like an intuitive hunch, I sort of just lay it out there for for the clients and ask them to tell me where I'm wrong. But you know, I I don't know. I'm I'm wrong quite a bit. I mean, I'm on the right track, but I'm wrong quite a bit. So this is super helpful. Well, and I think that that can be that happens a lot. Like you're you're close because you picked it up. And then you might have filtered a little bit through your lens so it's not quite as sharp anymore. I mean, what you felt was accurate. How you interpreted it might have gotten a little bit fuzzy. I know for me, sometimes it even comes to speaking it. Like I feel something, but then Mm -hmm. as the words are coming out of my mouth, I can't articulate the feeling well enough to to fully describe it or be accurate with it. But the feeling sense is right. I guess it just gets lost in the interpretation of speaking it sometimes too. Yes, yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, in terms of coaching, not everybody who listens to this is going to be a coach, but a lot of you are. I mean, I think that that's probably the way I handle it a lot of the time. Like I I have a hit or a thought that's coming up for me. What do you think? And giving the client the opportunity to bounce off that and find their way from there can be really, it's way more helpful than just sitting on something that's coming up for you because you're not sure. Yeah. So the system that I use, and I i mean, I'd like to say I do it 100% of the time, and I don't. I mean, it's, but I do it a lot, actually. And if I'm aware that I'm, I employ it even more more so. Like if I'm in a situation where I am, I know coming in that my filter is I've got a lens here, I've got some experience that might that might kind of change the color of my perception a little bit, color being the key word, then I use what I call a color coding system. So rather than naming an emotion when I feel something off of it, I try and give it a color. So, like, so my color coding system kind of looks like anger is black, fear looks red, ease is turquoise, joy is pink or magenta, uncertainty is gray, love is blue, relief looks like white to me. And I don't necessarily mean that I can see it. I mean, I've practiced this enough that I've created it in my imagination where sometimes I do see the colors. But I kind of try very hard to just assign a color name rather than any other name to something that I'm feeling in the moment or I'm sensing or perceiving from somebody else. And by not naming it, it doesn't go through my filter at that point. It stays... Okay, I'm going to finish my call. It stays a lot more clean at that juncture. And it also gives me a language to use when I'm talking to people, clients specifically, where I can say... Tell me about the color of that. Like if you could, if that emotion had a color, what color would it be? So we can kind of start to create a common language. But the color coding system works well for me because it's a way I can identify something that I'm perceiving without giving it an emotional tag and then starting to filter it through a story. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. I love that. It takes, go ahead. Well, I, I, well, the question I have is I hear some people talk about um, they have symbols for things. Um, like they'll see, a, you know, a flag or something, and they'll, that to them means something. So they'll, 
describe that. Is that different than this? I think it could be the same. It doesn't have to be colors. I mean, color works for me because I've got a pretty big, like a color vocabulary most women do. But any kind of symbolism that doesn't come attached with some sort of a charge. So, like I was discussing this with somebody a while back, and she was asking about a stop sign. Would that work? And like, mm, I don't think so, because there's there's probably some charge associated with that. But any sort of symbol that isn't charge based would work would work just as well. And I what is what's happening when you're like what if I just sometimes have metaphors come to me um, naturally? Is that different? I'm going to say maybe, maybe not, I mean, possibly, but pro- I mean, probably not. I mean, metaphors, again, are probably story-based. So, I mean, when you're interpreting energetic input, I mean, again, that story is something that you at least want to delay. And, I mean, that kind of gets to my next point. Eventually, you are going to have to put some words to the energy that you're Experiencing, So, I mean, I can say turquoise all day long, but my brain is going to still going to grasp, to grasp to interpret it. That's what my brain does. I mean, that's where the thinking part of my process goes naturally. So, I mean, sometimes I will, sometimes I will actually make an effort to go to metaphor before I filter it through something in my own library, particularly if I'm talking to somebody. I'm much more likely to use a metaphor to describe what I feel like I'm sensing because it keeps it out of that library of my personal experience at that point. We want to keep everything we're sensing as non-personal, at least initially, as you possibly can. Did that answer your question? I think so, yes. So what I highly recommend is that as you start to play with this concept, that you first use it really sort of on places and things rather than people. So reading a room, reading a location, like when you walk into a room, sense the colors or the color palettes that are there, sense the blends of the colors that are there. Think about the energy that you're bringing in and how that energy is going to meld with the colors of that energy. Like if you can get skilled at practicing this in sort of a space and place way where it's not personal or intimate, that's an easier place to sort of build muscle around this. And then as you go along, it gets easier to analyze that input that's coming from people in the same way. And when you do that, I mean, everything else we've talked about as we've gone along, like I said, it kind of feels like a hanging chad. Okay, I've got colors. What do I do with that? I don't even know what to make of that. What's next? I mean, what you do with that then, everything else we've learned becomes much more clear. I mean, at that point, if you're not interpreting the energy through your personal experience, it's much easier to check in with your guides and angels and see what's up or use a divination tool, or any number of other things that we might have at our disposal in terms of interpreting energy. I mean, and those could be infinite numbers of things. And even if you make the initial attempt to stop from interpreting it through your experience, then your next hit, your next impressions, are probably much, much more likely to be accurate. I mean, as long as you've 
stop that very natural inclination to interpret, you may be able to access immediate clear information by consciously not allowing it to go through your lens. So I am wondering, I'm, I'm kind of curious about I mean, your awareness, previous awareness of, of your, you know, of the sort of tendency to interpret through your own lens. I mean, we're all fairly aware on this call. How much sort of situational awareness did you have about your interpretations, Laura? Um, I've talked about this before, and I still feel a little. Uh, I'd like to open up to this, but I've I've tried to read rooms and stuff, and I either I'm expecting more out of it than I am, but I I get kind of nothing, or um, I, I don't I don't feel anything differently. Um, but when I am truly connecting with somebody, and usually it's like a friend or something, like I I can. I can speak only in metaphors sometimes, like back to back and left and right, and that's that's what's coming to me. It's almost as if I, I don't speak in words, and I don't ever have them say, like, what the fuck are you saying? Um, so that's the only thing that I know that I do. Um, I don't know that, like, I can't tell you 100% that I've had, like, psychic or except that I feel really free to speak in the way I do when I'm connecting with people who are exploring things in their lives. And I start talking and like and none of the metaphors match up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just went I went to the sea and then the and then the mountains and then we were on an airplane and we're nowhere <laughs> none of the metaphors match. You know, like follow a pattern but, but it feels like everyone understood what I was saying. I mean, I, it does. I, just in general, I admire your ability to stay neutral. And I would imagine that ability to stay neutral comes more naturally for you than it does for most people. And so, I mean, psychic hits rarely hit in lightning bolts. I mean, it would be nice if they did or if they came attached in a bright red envelope that we knew what it was when we opened it. My guess is, is that, that that sort of easy kind of Flipping into the language of metaphor probably really is intuitive. I mean, that that is maybe, I mean, we've talked about divination tools. As strange as it sounds, like metaphor and story might be your strongest divination tool, particularly where it's not pre-planned or pre-canned in some way, but it just flows to you that way. I mean, you might have sort of an intuitive gift for storytelling, and I would just look at it that way if I were you. Yeah, I, I would love, I know even, like, when I went through the Martha Beck training, it was like, you know, go in the room pushing out love, and then go in the room pushing out anger, and see the difference, or whatever, just, like, to, to practice seeing how your energy affects the room, or whatever, and I, I don't know if I wasn't staying long enough in the test, or whatever, but I just really was like, I got nothing here, <laughs> um, so, so, Having said that, and I was curious about this, is since I've started on this journey, I more often than not get 
skills that are super related to whatever someone was saying and not like, oh, I got chills because that was a moving story. No, my body just lights up in periods when I'm coaching or talking to someone or whatever. And for me, that's like truth or whatever I call it. I think somebody else called it that. I don't know. But, you know, like I'm like when I, I, I will say I'm getting chills right now. And to me, that means we're on to something. I don't know if that's related to intuition or not. How could it not be? Yeah. I mean, that's that's your body is acting as a tool for for experience, for pointing something out to you that you didn't have maybe conscious awareness of specifically. I mean, that seems to me like there's no other explanation for that. It, that's that's got to be intuition too. And, I mean, again, your ability to stay neutral, I think, is probably somewhat superhuman. It doesn't surprise me that those experiments about walking into a room with love or hate or anger or jealousy or whatever, I mean, I'm not surprised that you didn't feel super powerful with that because you are so extraordinarily non-attached in the first place. But to say you're not intuitive, I think you're probably quite intuitive. You just maybe haven't labeled it that way because you haven't thought to label it that way. I have to um, take a call from my daughter. I'm going to talk for a second. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. How about you, Melanie? I mean, how do you? How are you feeling about how you experience your extrasensory stuff and your filter and pretty much everything we've talked about? You know, I have a thousand things going on in my head, um, and I don't want to muck up your recording with all of them, but I do have, um, like, I feel like I'm pretty self-aware. Like, I I know my stuff pretty well and, and um, know when I'm getting in, in my own way or getting in the client's way. But I find it interesting that I just had this huge light bulb moment coaching last week where I had somebody do an ideal client profile and when she finished writing it, I re- read it back to her as if she were talking about herself. Like I used, you know, I this, I that, and so on. And it was crazy, crazy powerful. And what I said, and I don't even know where it came from, but it came out of my mouth that, that I think our ideal clients are us, some version of ourselves. And I think that if you think about, like, the allegory of the cave, for example. If you're three miles ahead with your flashlight, you know, in this darkened cave, no one's going to be able to get out of where they're at, right? But if you're even just a few steps ahead, you can lead someone out the whole way. So I do have a a point I'm trying to, to get to. Like, I feel like we almost attract people to us, whether we're coaches or not, who are experiencing things that that we have just gone through ourselves or that we've been through. Um, So it it seems like in some ways we always would be filtering our own stuff, but we're aware of it. Am I making any sense, Lisa? No, you're making – and I agree with that. I mean, law of attractive play said, who cares? Like you're getting an intuitive hit. Is it my stuff, somebody else's stuff? Where did it come from? I don't even think it matters because mm. because that's the way LOA works. And so filtering it through your stuff, I mean, 
you're right about that. It's what le- being kind of on the leading edge is. You're going to be attracting people in your life who are on that, who are maybe not out on the edge with you, but headed in that direction. Right. I think the only place it gets really, can, I think the place it's important to address this is particularly if we think we aren't attached to that information. Like somebody who mm-hmm. thinks that they're not intuitive or that they can't sense or that they don't per, you know, perceive energy. Of course you do. It's just this kind of noise is what's disconnecting you from your awareness of that. Yes. And what Laura said about the chills, like I've just in the last year or so, I've come to think of the chills as like I've hit on some truth or they've hit on some truth or there's some truth in there somewhere. Yeah, I think to me, I get, and Jeanette says all the time, I'm like, it's got chills. I heard her say that in a call we had today. I so rarely get the chills, but boy, when I do, I sit up and take notice. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, somebody, somebody just touched me on the board, you know, poked me in the arm, and I really sit up and take notice with that. Yeah. So, Jeanette, Janet just logged in, and we are almost finished. In fact, I think I am finished if nobody has any other questions. What I kind of want you to do is replay with the, you know, revisit the previous weeks that we've done here with the sort of fresh slate of something like the color code system, where you really are kind of allowing that blank slate um, and, and see how much your intuition improves. I mean, it's really, again, the name of the game here is clean up the noise, whether it's you know, psychic energy noise that's coming from without or from out there somewhere or inner filter noise that's coming from inside our own heads. The key to truly being intuitive is keeping the energetic slate as clean as you possibly can. And if you can clean up the noise, you will find that you have a much, much, much stronger intuitive sense than you ever thought you did. So I think guest three, you're guest three, right, Melanie? What was that? Are you guest three in the chat room? Um, I'm not in the chat room. I'm actually not oh. on, on chat. Aspen, I bet. Um, it's Aspen, yeah. All right, Aspen, you have any questions before we close today? I don't. Thank you so much. This has been great. Good uh, yeah. Happy full moon, oh, I everyone. Didn't see. I, wait, wait. Happy full moon. Aspen had a question. I didn't catch it. Aspen, what's the question? What if you associate multiple emotions with one color? Um, are they conflicting emotions? Like, I've known people who associate red with both anger and love. So, I would say if you associate, I mean, this isn't necessarily, this isn't like, it's not fixed in stone. You can actually say how you want it to be. Kind of like we talked about how you want to experience your intuition, like make the rules. If you've got, if you've got a natural inclination to associate more than one emotion with one color and you want to use a color code system, then I would just create some new rules for yourself and, you know, play with finding something that fits that way 
and redevelop your, your color code system. So, like I said, I had somebody who associated love with both red and, or red with both love and anger, and so we pretty much just asked her to give anger a different color and start practicing it that way. And it didn't take her very long because she had then kind of established the rules for her own self. And your intuition is always going to operate within the rules that you set for it if you set rules. So most of the time people don't. They just experience all of that. However, it flows over them without creating any parameters or boundaries. But if you set a rule for what you want your colors to be and you practice just a little bit, you'll start experiencing it that way. Does that make sense, Aspen? Give me a yes or no in chat. Aspen. Yep. Okay. And like I said, any other questions, email me and we will clear them up. I'll answer them to the best of my ability. And I love you guys. Jeanette, I am going to hang up and call you right back because I had something to say. But I love you guys. Love you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.